Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. We're taking our Bibles this morning and turning to the Gospel of John chapter 15. You'll remember that the Lord and His disciples have left the quiet of the upper room. They've moved through the empty streets of Jerusalem. It's night. Heading down through the Kidron Valley and over to the Garden of Gethsemane and along the way. On this, the last night of his earthly ministry, before his resurrection ministry will begin, the Savior is discussing with the disciples truths that are going to be needed for them to enjoy the stability of the Spirit during times that are filled with struggle. We're opening our Bibles to John chapter 15 this morning, and as we open our Bibles to John chapter 15, the Lord is sharing an eternal truth, and that truth we're going to be dealing with this morning is under the under the heading, just one word really, chosen. We read beginning in John chapter 15, the 13th verse, greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I've called you friends, for all things that I've heard of my Father I've made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them, the works which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now they have both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning." Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into His Word. Father, I pray now that You would help our hearts to be attentive to what the Spirit of God has provided for us here, that we rejoice in Your choosing, that we'd respect what You've chosen us to accomplish, and Lord, that You would allow the message today to move some heart to better steps of faithfulness and to someone else to come to know Christ as Savior. And we'll thank You for it, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Our country was involved in the Korean conflict when my father-in-law got an induction notice. So he appeared before the local draft board for his induction into military service. They lined up all the new inductees shoulder to shoulder. One of the members of the draft board stood up and went by the group as they stood there together and said, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine. That's the day my father-in-law became a member of the few, the proud, the Marines. 
Our lives can be impacted drastically by choices made by others. As we open our Bibles this morning to John chapter 15, you'll find the word chosen used in verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, Jesus says. You'll see that same word used again in verse 19. Jesus says, I have chosen you out of the world. Now, the matter of sovereign choice is a matter that has been discussed by many Christians over many generations. And quite frankly, the matter of sovereign choice remains to all of us here a mystery, and it needs to remain a mystery. And we shouldn't be troubled by that. After all, our thoughts are not his thoughts. As high as the heavens above, the Bible says, so are his thoughts higher than our thoughts. But we do know that the book of Ephesians speaks of the choice of God made in eternity past. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, we read that he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. And that's a thought that we'll never be able to wrap our minds around. And no, I don't even believe in eternity. We'll be able to understand completely the ways of God when it comes to his sovereignty and our salvation. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it is affirmed that God is involved in actually choosing the believer. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says in verse 13, God hath from the beginning chosen you for salvation. And in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 14, God says that that choice that's been made is going to be celebrated on into eternity. For in Revelation 17 and verse 14, the author of the book of the Revelation says, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. This is our song in eternity. And they that are with him are called chosen and faithful. Now, it's not my intent this morning to try to unwrap the mystery of God's sovereignty when it comes to the topic of choice, but instead to be very practical as we look at the passage to which we've opened, for there are practical truths here that can warm our hearts, encourage our ways, and keep our steps moving forward for the Savior. My father-in-law was discharged from the Marines. He went back to plying his trade. He was a craftsman. He was a carpenter and a good one. Many times I would travel with my father-in-law to the lumber yard and help him select lumber. Not that I knew anything about it, but I certainly learned some things. I learned that if he was going to buy a two-by-four, he could look at 40 different boards before he picked the one that he would take home. I learned that every piece of lumber that he took home, he wanted it to be straight, he wanted it to be true, because after all, when the, when the job was done, he wanted it to be first-rate. And so he was fussy along the way. As we open our Bibles to John chapter 15, it's well for us to remember that the Savior that we serve created all that we see, for nothing was made that was not made by Him. And in His earthly ministry, before He was announced to the world as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, He was a carpenter after all. And through your life and through my life and through the lives of those who collectively are called the church of the living God, He's working a masterpiece, and he's fussy. He's involved in the work of choosing. And so we discover in the passage to which we've turned in John chapter 15, in verses 12 through 15, that Jesus Christ, our beloved Savior, has chosen us to be his friends. He chooses you to be his friend. And then you'll discover in verse 16 that he's chosen you to bear fruit. And finally, you discover in this passage that he's chosen you along the way to forsake the world. 
The words that Jesus shared with his disciples on the night of his betrayal are passing and beyond wonderful. The words that he shares with his disciples are intended to not only warm our hearts, but to encourage our steps and to give us foundation when struggles come. And what a wonderful foundation to know this wonderful truth that's portrayed here in this passage. Jesus says, I have chosen you to be my friends. Verse 14, Jesus says, you are my friends. He's speaking, of course, to his disciples, but he's speaking beyond his disciples to you and me. We need to be aware that the world is filled with lonely, lonely people. In his book, Quality Friendship, Gary Enrig, a number of years ago, made the observation that some observers have called loneliness the most pervasive problem of our times. Loneliness. Loneliness affects those who are young and those who are old, those who are rich and those who are poor. Loneliness can affect anyone. Alfred Lord Tennyson had the privilege of visiting in the palace with Queen Victoria of England. And after having visited with the queen, he came out and reported that up there in all her glory, she's very, very lonely. Even the Beatles picked up on loneliness. All the lonely people, where do they come from? And the passage to which we've turned, Jesus offers to be your friend. And Proverbs 18 says in verse 24 that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I want you to notice with me the extent of his friendship as it's revealed in verse 13. Jesus says, greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now history books are filled with heroic, sacrificial, spontaneous acts where people have put themselves in harm's way for those that they loved and even for those that they don't know. Louisa came to the United States from England. She was much affected by a, a service that she attended in Ohio and gave her life to missions. And unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, for the ways of the Lord are always right, she was so frail that she was counseled that she would never survive a missionary journey to China. And so it was that she married William Stead she loved William very much, and God blessed their union with a little girl by the name of Lily. And one day they were, they were on a beach in Long Island, New York. While they're on the beach enjoying their picnic lunch, they heard a cry of distress from out of the waves. A young boy was crying, and his life was in jeopardy. And so, thinking nothing of it, it seems, William Stead ran immediately into the waves to save that little boy. And both William and the little boy drowned. Louisa and Lily had watched the drowning of husband and father, and now they were greatly in distress. William Stead's sacrifice was not a thought-through sacrifice. It was a spontaneous, in-the-moment sacrifice to try to come to the aid of someone who was drowning. But friends, our Lord's sacrifice was thought about in eternity past, before any of mankind had ever had one thought and the Word of God tells us here in verse 13 that the love of God is displayed in this way, for greater love has no man than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. In fact, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14 says, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The sacrifice that was made by the Savior was not made spontaneously or in the moment. It was made in the omniscient mind of God 
This plan that Jesus would come and offer himself as a sinless, spotless sacrifice on an old rugged cross to pay the penalty of our sins so that we could have forgiveness of sin and a home in heaven with God. And it was proven that he did that work when he raised from the dead. This is the plan of God. And when we ask the extent of his love, well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, the Son of Man came not to minister, but to be ministered unto rather, but to minister and to give himself a ransom for many. The specific intent of Jesus coming into this earth was that he would give himself for our sins. Louisa Stead lost her husband there on Long Island. She went on to serve the Lord. In fact, she went on to write words that we've come to know very well. She wrote the song, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord." She had a friend that stuck closer than a brother, and you can have that friend too. This is the extent of the Lord's love, even unto death. Greater love has no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. And the effect of his friendship is seen in this passage as well. Look at verse 14. It's a confusing verse. Verse 14 says, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. It sounds like that's a condition. If I'm doing what he commands, I can be his friend, but it's not to be read or understood that way. In truth, he's not speaking conditionally here. He's not saying, you can be my friend if you do what I've commanded you. The Lord is speaking here of the transformation that happens when you come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. There's a transformation that happens in that loving relationship and that friendship with Christ. Love changes things. There's a story told of a newly married man who came to visit his priest. He was frustrated in the first months of his marriage. After all, it seemed like everything he'd ever done in life, his wife wanted to change now. So he visited with the priest, and he said to the priest, Something's happened. When we were recording, she thought I was fine. Then on our wedding day, from then forward, it's just been one change I have to make after another to please her. What's with that? And the priest thought for a moment. And he says, I think that what happened on your wedding day is explainable. She stood at the door coming into the service. She thought about the aisle that she had to walk. She thought about the altar that she was looking at, steering toward where you would stand. She heard the organ playing the hymn, and she was mesmerized by all that was happening. These were the thoughts of her mind, and she's living them today. She thought, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. <laughs> Folks, that's not the way it's supposed to go. Those who are here celebrating 50 years of marriage this year can tell you that a genuine loving relationship isn't about altering one's spouse, it's about altering oneself. Those who are truly in love think, what can I do to please that one that I love so well? And the good news is when you come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, 2 Corinthians 5 says in verse 17, old things pass away and all things become new. There's a new power within you, the power of the Spirit of God. And so Jesus is saying confidently in verse 14, you're my friends if you do, and we can actually translate that this way, since you do my commandments. There's a change that happens. This is the effect of the friendship that we have with the Lord. You see, when the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, we love 
to do his commandments. And I'm so thankful that Jesus also expresses his friendship in this passage. He doesn't leave us doubting. He says in verse 15, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, that have I made known unto you. There are those who boast about having friends in high places. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. We have friends in high places. We have the friendship of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And Jesus has expressed that friendship to us. And he offers this friendship to us in a very intimate way. He's saying, I've called you friends for all things that I've heard of my Father, I've made known unto you. What blissful security the believer has. We know the very mind of God as expressed not only in the words of Jesus to his disciples, but in the ways of Jesus when he worked here on earth. So that we can know who God is. That we can have an intimate friendship with God. So if you're lonely this morning, if you find yourself vulnerable in that loneliness and hungry for fellowship, if you need a friend, turn to Jesus. He's a friend like no other. The songwriter said, I found a friend, oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. He drew me with the cords of love, and thus he bound me to him. I've chosen you, Jesus says, to be my friends. What a humbling reality. And then in verse 16, Jesus says, I've also chosen you to bear fruit. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. Whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it unto you. I went to high school with a young man who had very little purpose during the days in high school, very few goals, I'm sure. Soon after graduating from high school, Alfred, a man without goals, a young man without any serious ambitions, found himself in the drug culture. Shortly after that, you'd see Alfred shuffling through the streets of the city where I grew up without a purpose, a life gone awry. It was very evident that he had been overcome by the drugs that he'd been taking. There are a lot of people that are like Alfred. Now, they're not shuffling through the streets, but the reality is they don't have a life purpose. They don't know why they're waking up in the morning other than the sun came up. And unfortunately, the Bible tells us about those who live life in such a way that the ungodly are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Jesus gives to all those who love him a purpose for living. You see, he wants us to be fruitful disciples. And for the fruitful disciple, there's a requirement that has to be considered. Jesus says, I have chosen you and ordained you that you go and bring forth fruit. Fruitfulness requires service. I'd circle the word go in verse 16, that you may go and bear bear fruit. You're not going to bear fruit by sitting idly. We're not called, all of us, to a foreign field. But all of us are called to missionary service. The demon-possessed man, after he came to know Jesus Christ as Savior, was sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And in his right mind, as Jesus was ready to leave the area of Gadara, he said to Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to be one of your followers. Jesus said to that man, now in his right mind, go home and tell your friends what great things the Lord hath done for you and how he's had compassion upon you. Jesus wanted that man of Gadara to go home and become fruitful. He wanted him to be involved 
in ministry. And so Jesus says, I've chosen you. I've ordained you that you should go and that you should bring forth fruit. It may be that God has called you to be a particular minister in your family so that family members can see the faith of Jesus Christ shining through you. It may be that God has particularly ordained you to be in your neighborhood as the one Christian that everyone knows they can count on, as the one Christian that everyone knows will be praying for them as the one who would share the good news of the gospel. It is for all of us ordained of God that we serve in local church ministry. In fact, the sun came up this morning so that people could come to Christ as Savior and the body of Jesus Christ, which is reflected in the church as we gather, could be growing Local church is where God allows each of us to serve with the gifts that He's given to us. Jesus loved the church and gave Himself for it. How much do you love the church? And how much do you give yourself to serve when God's people gather together? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you involved in the ministry that He's given you to do? I couldn't help but think this morning when the video presentation was going by, that the reality is, as we look around this room this morning and see so many people part of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, if all the people were gathered in heaven who have been part of Colonial Hills Baptist Church this morning, over the past 65 years, that gathering would be far bigger there than it is here. And I can't help but believe this morning, because of what God's Word testifies, that there are some who are there who are so thankful that God stirred in the heart of a young pastor way back in 1957 so that someone would commit themselves to come to this region of the world and plant a church where God's Word could be given, so that God could ordain each of us to be involved in service for the Master. Fruitful disciples take the Lord's requirement very seriously. I've chosen you and I've ordained you that you would go and, and bear fruit. And for fruitful disciples, there's a realization that we covet. What do you mean, Pastor Phelps? Well, look at verse 16. Jesus speaks of fruit that should remain. What's he talking about? After all, fruit is seasonal, and the shelf life of fruit is normally, unless frozen or canned or packaged in some way, very brief. But Jesus is speaking here about fruit that will remain. Here's good news. The fruit that is born in the life of the believer never spoils in heaven's vaults. There's fruit that remains in a place where moth and rust cannot corrupt and thieves cannot break through and steal. He's speaking to us about the realization that life's purpose ought to be to bear fruit, and that fruit ought to be deposited in heaven's vaults. It, it may be this morning that you're rejoicing because recently, when the offering plate passed, you contributed to the Lord's work, and the thought of your heart this morning is, I'm glad I did that, because there's fruit there that will remain. It may be that recently God has given you the opportunity to share the gospel with someone else, and, and perhaps they didn't come to Christ as Savior, but you know you were scattering that seed, and the Word of God tells us that the Word of God will never return void. Again, as we gather in this place this morning, I can't help but think of all those who've gone before us, as those who were members here at Colonial Hills Baptist Church at one time, some of them bus drivers, children's workers, Sunday school teachers, vacation Bible time workers. Some of them who over the years served as ushers and others who served in junior church ministry. Some who gave the gift of hospitality and prepared Thanksgiving dinners. Others who sang in the choir. Some who traveled with the ladies group who did drama teams around the country. So many who served in so many various capacities that I can't even enumerate them, but here's the good news. God hasn't forgotten any of it. 
The Word of God says in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10 that God is not unfaithful to forget your works and labor of love, which you've showed toward His name, and that you've ministered to the saints, and that you do minister. For fruitful disciples, there's a responsibility then that must be maintained. Verse 16 says, Whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, He will give it unto you. We have a responsibility to pray for one another. There's no fruitfulness that will ever be enjoyed, whether it be in a church or in an individual life that's not first bathed in prayer. And then the Lord says in verse 17, of these things I command you that you love one another. So what's my responsibility? Well, if I'm going to be a fruit-bearing Christian, the first priority ought to be to pray for my brothers and sisters of the Lord, to be an intercessor, to have a heart that's moved when others' hearts are moved to be involved and connected to Christians so that I can lift them up in love and demonstrate the love of Christ, not only to the Christian community roundabout, but also to the world that's looking for a friend. And remember, there's no friend like Jesus. In this passage, we've been chosen to be His friend. We've been chosen to bear fruit. We've been chosen to forsake the world. And now the conversation turns quite serious. Because this is not a popular message. Nevertheless, it's his message. In the 18th verse, he says, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they've kept my saying, they will keep yours also. What's Jesus speaking about here? When he talks to us about forsaking the world, he's not talking about forsaking the planet, though someday that will happen. No, Jesus here in this passage is speaking about the world, its culture, its conditions that cause us to be corrupted. He wants us to be extracted from that. I have chosen you to take you out of the corruption of the world roundabout. You see, the Christian is formed by God to be an alien by His very nature. Jesus says, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. When I first heard the testimony of my friend G.S. Nair, who was raised in a very well-to-do Indian home, went off into the Indian army to serve his country, was an officer in the army, a son that his parents were very proud of, until he came to Christ as Savior and wrote his parents a letter to let them know that he'd turned from Hinduism to Christianity. My heart broke when he said, when I wrote them that letter, they printed my obituary in my hometown newspaper and said, you're not our son anymore. They'd been ever so proud of him. He'd raised in the ranks through the Indian Army, now an officer, the pride of their family, and now one that was no longer to be associated with mother or father. How hurtful. Why did that happen? It happened in fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gave. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There are many in this room who felt the same burden. You've come to Christ as Savior, and you've had family members and friends, colleagues and associates who've turned from you, and affections have evaporated. Good news for Brother Nair, one by one, he saw his family members come to Christ as Savior. So he stood true through the challenge of being 
disenfranchised from his own family. It should come as no surprise. Jesus has chosen us to forsake the world. We're not to be like the world and of the world. We're in the world, but not of it. The Christian is associated by his name, you see. Verse 20, remember that the word that I said unto you, that the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. I heard this week about someone standing in front of a public building, reading the Bible, and being assaulted on the street, the Bible taken away, and the person who took the Bible from the person who was reading it in the public place stuffed pages of the Bible that he was now tearing up into his mouth to defame what was being said in a public arena. What had that person done that had ever hurt anyone walking by on the street? They named the name of Christ. They'd taken the name of Christian into the marketplace. And we should understand that Jesus is long ago foretold the truth is that not everybody who names the name of Christ is going to be loved for being a Christian. In fact, by simply saying that you're a Christian in many places, you're going to find yourself ostracized. And the Christian is aggravated, aggravating, you see, by their very narrowness. Jesus is explaining that here when he says in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. <laughs> but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now they both have seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that's written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Those who stand for righteousness will always find those who hate them for standing for righteousness. Cain hated Abel. Saul hated David. The community of Jerusalem hated Jeremiah. Stephen was so hated in his home synagogue that they stoned him to death and he became the church's first martyr. If you're truly standing for the Lord, it should come as no surprise whether in the home or in the workplace, whether in the neighborhood or among your colleagues, you'll find yourself often ostracized and often standing alone. Listen, it was on the last night of Jesus' earthly ministry before he ascended up into heaven and came back in resurrected ministry that Jesus shares these truths with his disciples, they're going to be flabbergasted as they see, them see him stretched out on the cross. They're going to be broken as his body is placed in the tomb. They need something that's going to help them stand, and so do you. And here's what helps us stand. I have chosen you to be my friend, Jesus says. I have chosen you to be fruitful and have fruit that will remain, a purpose for living, a heavenly account. That'll help you stand. I've chosen you to forsake the world. Don't be surprised if in the world you suffer tribulation. For Jesus has said that that indeed will happen. William Cooper, the great English poet and songwriter, had correspondence from a minister during his times, and he wrote a letter back in 1793. The minister had shared with Mr. Cooper how much he was enjoying his ministry and how little challenge he was facing along the way. And Cooper wrote these words. He said, I'm glad that your doctrine has hitherto made no enemies. You have a gracious master who it seems will not suffer you to see war in the beginning. It will be a wonder, however, if you do not sooner or later find out that sore place in every heart which can ill endure the touch of apostolic doctrine. 
Somebody will smart in his conscience, and he will hear of it. I say not this, my dear sir, to terrify, but to prepare you for that which is likely to happen, and which, troublesome as it may prove, is yet devoutly to be wished for. In general, there is little done by preachers till the world begins to abuse them. But understand me aright, you do not mean that you should give them unnecessary provocation by scolding and railing at them, as some more zealous than wise are apt to do. There's no need to do that. Said Cooper, the self-abasing doctrines of the gospel will of themselves create your enemies. Remember this for your comfort. They will also in due time transform them into friends, make them love you as if they were your own children. My father-in-law's life changed, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine. Your life changed when the Lord Jesus Christ said, you, you, I want you to be my friend. I want you to bear fruit. I want you to forsake the world for me. We thank the Lord for His choosing and for the blessings that come each day in life of service for Him. Will you stand with me, please, as we pray? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and no one looking around. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast. Thank you.